Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What goes oh, oh, oh? Santa walking backwards. Because <sighs> it's Christmas time. <laughs> and it's a Christmas gag. <laughs> That's the biggest groan we've had from a joke yeah. for quite a long time. We're sat together for this one, and Beretta and I just looked at each other with a pained expression <laughs> it on was, our face. It was pretty pained. Usually on Zoom, you can't quite make out the pain, <laughs> but on in, in real life, the pain was um, was pretty telling. Now, what's pretty disappointing about that joke for me, Nate, is that before we started recording, you were flicking through your joke list on your notes on your phone, and you were giggling to yourself, and you were pretty pleased with yourself. So I was expecting something pretty special, and... Well, I love the Christmas theme. The quality. Quality was poor. Was poor. Well, I was actually laughing at another joke for another episode. So I've got a whole list and I was laughing at one that will feature very soon. Hang on, so why have you delivered one that isn't well, funny? We're sat, we're sat at Medlin's, Medlin's house. We've got a Christmas tree right here. I was feeling festive. I don't have a Christmas tree up in my flat. Oh, wow. Well, because who's going to see it? Just me. And it's going to annoy me that it's there. Yeah, I've got to put Why it up. going to annoy you? You've, you've, just, you've just said <laughs> that's seeing nice. one has made you feel festive. Yeah, that's nice. But, like, I don't want to put one up. Like, you know, I'm, having, I'm going home for Christmas in, like, a day. So it'll just be sat there, you know. Until you're back. And then you can enjoy it. And I've got it to take it down. Take it down. Yeah, then I've got to take it down. No, but and it no one s- will have seen it. It can stay up until the January the 6th. Is that the, is that the official that's day? That's the day when you take it down. Yeah, yeah. 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. I just don't put them up. But that's why. But I like when, people, when other people have. You know, there's presents under the tree. There's lights, you know. Santa would come here, definitely. If someone did it for you. Oh, yeah, 100%. There you go. There 100%. must be companies. <laughs> there must be companies that do that. Well, you're right. That, that would be quite a good idea, wouldn't it? Are you too lazy to put up your tree? Too much of a, too much of a Scrooge. I'm not really a Scrooge. I like Christmas, but I just don't get that into the swing of it. Okay. Well, what I feel like. So maybe, maybe, maybe if I had been more Christmassy, that joke would have landed. Maybe. I would have told it with a bit more festive cheer. Yeah, it might be your fault. Yeah, maybe. Do you think? Probably. Okay. Usually is. Well, I, I want you to quit stalling, Nate, because I know you're f- afraid of the We've score, already used the word you? disappointing, <laughs> so I'm, I'm worried about it. Okay, I'm going to give it. And it pains me to give a kind of score like this. 4.5. Ooh. I knew it'd dip under five. As yeah. soon as you reacted like that, I was like, it had to go, it had to go under five. It wasn't the worst you've ever told. <clears throat> so that's something. Yeah. I, suppose. I think I got, I've, I definitely have had a one before, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which, yes. which, which was one of the worst jokes ever told. I feel like you should deliver that more festively and been like oh, four calling oh, birds, oh, point oh. five gold rings. <laughs> should have been how you did yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Uh, On the four, 4.5th day of Christmas. That's your, you told a bad joke or something like that. See, that would have worked. No, no. Oh, Nate. If I had a tree up, this would have been at least a six. Well, welcome to another edition of The Paddock. And this is a very special one because we're all together. At Chris Medlin's house, next to Chris Medlin's tree. Lovely <laughs> no, tree. Chris Medlin's coffee table. 
Um, you've got Nate Saunders. You've got Chris Medlin, obviously, because it's Chris <laughs> yeah. Medlin's house. Would be weird if Chris wasn't here. <laughs> so, hang on. I was trying to build some tension. Sorry, I sorry. I was very, very surprised to hear my name in full so many times at the start of this episode. <laughs> it's very odd. It's very formal. Morning, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll revert back to Medlin's from this point. Yeah. Yes, you. okay, fine. And you've got me, Lawrence Bretto, and we're going to be doing a little bit of chat today about Las Vegas, because we haven't done a Las Vegas episode ever yet, guys. No, this really does show how uh, on top of things we are, that it's, what, the 20th of December. And we're now talking about a race that happened about five, a month ago, five month weeks ago, ago four yeah. weeks ago. But we did, we have, we've given, we've given it a big sell at this point. I think there's been two episodes where we've mentioned it, so I think we have to. Yeah, but we've been busy, right? After Vegas, we went to Abu Dhabi. Although, yeah, well, I didn't. Nate went on holiday. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Long, long holiday. And that's the great. only bit I think is worth talking about because I don't remember anything from Abu Dhabi that was new. Oh, actually, no, there was something. So it's fine. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Don't mention it. It's all good. We've done, no. the, we've done the ring story no. in the last episode. No, not the ring story. The oh. karting story. Uh, uh, oh, yes. actually, that is quite good. As yes. much as I hate karting stories, that is a good one. Okay, well, But we'll start with Vegas, let's right? Let's start with Vegas. Because yeah. that is kind of, I guess, what the title of the episode is going to be. What? Let's start with Vegas. Let's That's start with dull. Vegas. It's almost as bad as your joke. We'll come up with something else. <laughs> something more cliche, because nobody used any cliches in Vegas. That no. was the real beauty of well, that, that week. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was one they wanted to start with. Was It was a bit like how every time we go to Austria... Someone sends a press release out, been like, "The hills are alive with the sound of F1 <laughs> engines," yeah. and you can you you almost play bingo. You're like, one of them's going to do it. One of them, I think Alpine did it this year. Always, and then and then as soon as one's done it, you can tell the other teams like, "Oh damn it, yeah, can't use that now." You know, rewrite. Yeah, but all or, the, all the teams had Vegas kind of puns in there, which I suppose I suppose makes sense. But also, Vegas isn't the city that never sleeps, is it? That's New York. Yeah, and everyone kept using that like, "Oh, it's the city that never sleeps." I mean, it's true. It doesn't. It doesn't. But sleep. That's not its nickname. Yeah. I it's Sin City, isn't it? Is it the is. main nickname? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was weird. That's a start. Anyway, that's Vegas done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Vegas thoroughly reviewed. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, Lawrence has looked to me because he's got to be very careful because, as Formula One's <laughs> official spokesperson, as we regularly mention you, on this pod, you might not hear much of no Barreto for the next um, ten minutes. <laughs> it, no comment. It started actually being there. It started well because got there what on a Monday and had some fun. Basically, went and play, I mean, just trying to beat jet lag, went and played top golf. This is a good story, right? Went and played top golf, which obviously everyone knows Nate loves, everybody loves. Um, but we were like stood there playing. And as you looked out, you got the end of the driving range, you got a load of big screens, and behind it, you had the pit building. It was that close. Like the track ran right past the end of the top golf setup, um, which means I think they called the final corner top golf yeah, on did. the actual track map. Yeah. Um, but then we walked back through the MGM, which is where I was staying. And we thought we'll go to maybe look at some tables and people were saying, well, can we play any roulette? Are we, you know, do we know what we're doing? And as you walked through, genuinely, on your left-hand side, you had Logan Sargent playing craps. And on your right-hand side, you had Nico Hulkenberg watching Blackjack. And I'm not kidding, they were about three yards apart. So anyone yeah. who was walking through a casino that night would have walked straight past two F1 drivers. And that's 10% of the grid were there like, <laughs> within three yards of each other in a casino. Some ESPN colleagues of mine later in the week just went and had a you know had a bit of a flutter and they saw Carlos signs on a table and they were playing roulette. So I don't know how much they put down, but they said, let's put everything I have on red and it came up and they like, like tripled their money. So that no was... No way. So the, the well, drivers... But he's probably doubled it actually. Yeah. So uh, maths was never my strong suit. Nate knows the rules. All Christmas jokes, Christmas jokes, putting trees up and maths. Don't go there. Uh, but yeah, so I think the drivers were when they could just kind of trying to experience that, which is kind of fun. And Sergeant was funny, wasn't he? Because he saw he saw all of us, kind of recognised a few. And was like, I think he for a second he thought, is this is this going to get out that I'm here? Because like, is it a bad thing? Yeah, yeah, is it a bad thing I'm here? And and I, I if we didn't talk, but I would have gone up to him and just said, we're not going to 
mention it because we're here too. Like it's a perfectly normal thing to do in Vegas. Yeah, but I've just I've just mentioned you just mentioned. Well, no, you both. You've also said that Hulkenberg and science. Yeah, it was normal for people to do it. I think when you're when you're a rookie driver and you're doing Vegas and you're suddenly seen by some journalists. At a, at a table, you must. The first thing you think, I mean, and this was two days before the yeah, I was, was going to say it's the day before. So the, it wasn't like the, the night of the race yeah. or anything. Yeah, yeah. So, but your first thought in your head must be, oh, like, like you said, what was he playing? Craps probably went, went through his head. Am I right? Hey. Hey. Without the S. But then um, he went and qualified sixth. So clearly, gambling helps yeah. him perform in qualifying. True. Yeah. Obvious, yes, clearly. Yes. Um, maybe he needs to do it every week. Yeah, maybe, exactly. that's the, maybe that's the thing. Let's get a casino in the uh, in the paddock. But so that was funny, I thought, and cool. And we went and um, explored as well. So everyone was doing that because you've just got to Vegas, like let's do Vegas things. Plus, you had to get your body clock onto the time zone, which was impossible because which was the, the actual, hardest part. Well, it was like so. What was Vegas? Eight hours normally, but then with the schedule, it was another five or six on top of that. I want to say six, and because of the direction you've gone in tra- in terms of travel. It was, I don't want to say easier, but what made sense was to stay up late, was to try and push your body clock back, even though technically you were closer if you went the other way and, and got up early, and or like earlier and earlier. Um, it, it was really bizarre trying to do that. That was hard. But, but I did the, the Netflix cup thing. It was really cool. That really looks great. Cool. That looks great. Um, More golf, Mate, sites, You'll yeah. be delighted. More golf. More golf. Well, I was going to gloss over it for him. I felt like I had an important point, so I was just, I was just racing I don't mind, through I don't mind, the week. I don't mind a bit of golf chat. It's didn't, fine. Um, didn't Pierre Gasly almost hit you in the face with a golf ball? Yeah, that was really good because uh, Jess is telling me that I need to do TikTok more. I was going to say it kicked, kicked, restarted your TikTok yeah. career. Uh, and that got, I don't know, like... 40,000 views on my TikTok channel. Cool. Everybody, all three listeners, go and look at my TikTok <laughs> channel. Um, but um, yeah, I genuinely was, I was joking around the whole time. I was recording bits for our radio shows on Sirius XM, which we never actually used in the end. Uh, but I was pretending to be like a golf reporter. So I was like, oh, and it's uh, Norris on the sixth tee. It's quite a six iron. Slight left to right wind. That sort of thing. Like, <laughs> I was really enjoying it. It was good Mate, fun. If, if F1 ever doesn't work for you, that's, yeah. that's your calling right there. Um, but then I was also slagging them off because they couldn't hear me. It was great, great fun. Um, and I was doing that with Gasly because he was taking a long time over every shot, like a long time. And they were on the clock, right? They were doing Pretty it. Pretty much. It was, being, it was whoever could finish quickest. Or was that oh, a different no, no. game? That was, was a different, different game. game. Um, but it was that they had to do, they had obviously floodlight set up because it was going to get dark, but they didn't want it to get too dark or take too long. And because Gasly was in the second group playing with Albon, you had Norris against Science in the first group which more people were following, I would admit, because of that bromance. But also, once that finished, like they could go at their own speed and they finished quicker. And then Gasly was playing a lot slower. So the gap between the two groups got bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh. So everyone was waiting around for the second game to finish so they could do the final. Uh, and I'd been told this, that a few people were saying, like the production team are going to have to say to him, look, can you hurry up the way you play? Uh, so I was making that point And I said that he you know, is quite slow hitting a golf ball. And then he hit it, that exact <laughs> shot straight at me. <laughs> That's, he's only that's... just started playing golf though, isn't he? Of all of the players yeah. that played that day, Formula One drivers, he's only just started. And I remember, I think he went to play that course the day before with James Lloyd, uh, who's a press officer at Alpine, uh, to just try and get, um, kind of get his eye uh, in, I guess. Fair advantage. Yeah, just like Nigel Mansell you went and did a helicopter ride around the Top Gear track before he did his lap did in the really? Suzuki, what was it, Liana? Liana, yeah. That's a great um, Which is a very niche uh, yeah. reference to, to Top Gear in the UK. But um, yeah, so he wanted to make sure he kind of gave a good account of himself and then he almost hit Chris Medlin in the face. Which, which is would a have great been a, video. It would have been a great account of himself yeah. as well, wouldn't it, to be fair? Yeah, it would. I think many people would have enjoyed that. The funny thing with that is, and I, I forget who said, one of the drivers said they were more nervous teeing off for that than they have been 
or they were maybe it was maybe it was Lando kind of jokingly, but you almost feel like because they're so comfortable racing, when they actually do something like that, they're out of their comfort zone. So so him taking a long time is like, oh, there's actually cameras on me watching. Mm. I can't mess this up. He doesn't whereas, want to look bad. Whereas when they really? when they when they're in the car and they, they always say like when the visor goes down we don't think about anything. That is so normal to them to be in that environment. So to suddenly put them in that situation, I think it's quite interesting because they suddenly like oh like the competitive juice is still there, but the, it's the fear of the fear of failure they'll have is much bigger. Even though it's a fun game, they don't want to be the guy that finishes last because to them it's a it's a thing they'll think about. Albon said that, yeah, before I think, that, I think that's who I'm thinking In the interview of. session. And he didn't have his clubs either, so he'd gone to get his clubs to fly them out there so he was playing with his own clubs because he was like, yeah, that's going to be important too. And everyone was meant to bring their own stuff. And for some reason, the ones he had were like junior clubs or the ones he'd found or he got. So they were far too short. And he, took the, he said he measured them against Lilies. And found her even shorter than than hers. With Lily being there as well, he must yeah. have thought, "I've really got to do well." Yeah, definitely. Oh, she was she was not caddying, but she was walking around with um, I think some family members and friends and stuff, and giving him feedback. And also, he was saying, "Did you see this? Did you see that? What was good? What was bad?" And there was a few times that you could see she was a bit like, "Yeah, that was bad." <laughs> but um, a lot of it actually, you know, he was he was pretty solid. Um, but then I think they were tied to the last hole, and he lost on the last hole to Gasly, and then Carlos won it, didn't he? Sites and Johnson. And then broke the trophy. Yeah. Dropped, um, the tr- dropped the trophy, which subsequently broke the trophy. This is what was funny about Vegas. This event, and <clears throat> I'll talk about what I did the following day, mm. was that um, that event started mid-afternoon, early afternoon. Yeah. So uh, And then yeah. media day was similar. I feel like that was the biggest thing that was, so Meadows was completely right to mention. I felt like it was a bunch of people from Europe going to Vegas, which is eight hours behind, but trying to get onto Japanese time, effectively. Because mm-hmm. it was like a Japanese or an Australian Grand Prix race start. And yet, all the events leading up to it were kind of done on Vegas time. You know, were kind of done in line with this is the afternoon now. We'd, so a lot of people had got up at kind of midday, late, you know, late morning. Because yeah. especially with a jet lag, you'd probably been up quite early. So it meant that by the time the sessions kind of started on the Thursday, your body was just completely out of whack because you'd you'd been up early the day before. You were trying to sleep later to kind of accommodate and so when you left the circuit after especially after that first day i mean i was i felt horrendously ill on that well, i'm getting all the days mixed up the thursday when we had the practice sessions yeah i actually went home early that day i had a horrible cough everyone sitting around me in the media center was looking at me like i don't want to i don't want you to stay here nate um but That's everybody not, not cough specific just that, yeah <laughs> that, that happens most weeks but this one they blamed it on the cough um but i feel like by that's why by thursday and like as the weekend went on, most people were just absolutely ruined. It wasn't so much the, I think the changing for the, for the race was one thing, but all the events leading up to it kind of started as if Vegas time was what the, you know, as if the race was starting at like 3 PM, you know what I mean? And that is a big, that's a big thing. And I think some of the drivers felt that as well. Um, I mean, well, I could, while we focus on the cool points then, because that's about where my fun ended and I know you've got a very cool story. Yeah. So I'm going to make everyone wait for it. Bretta, what was the coolest thing? you did or had to do uh, in Vegas? Um, I did a few cool things. So while Medland, on the day that Medland went to, you did the Netflix golf, I stayed in bed much longer because I'd come from Australia. So I was on the new on the right time zone for what we were supposed to do because I was then going to do a track tour uh, video guide with Nicole Briscoe from ESPN, uh, a Nate colleague, of course. Yep, yep. Shout out to Nicole. And um, so I didn't start shooting until like seven, eight o'clock in the evening through to like three or four a.m. To be fair. Oh yeah, because you needed and a then, road, didn't you, for that? Yeah, exa- exactly that. And, but also needed it to be dark to show to show Vegas. So it was quite cool to get a chance. We'd gone there a year, eighteen months or so beforehand to 
when Vegas was just Vegas and we just announced that the track was going to happen. So it was quite cool to then just go back, walk around, see what they'd done to it, see the sphere in action. And lots of people have talked about this this giant golf ball, essentially, that um, had 1.2 million LEDs and could basically show any kind of visual effect that you wanted on. So it's quite cool to go and see what it was. But the best thing was going up to the 30th floor, I think it was, on the Cosmopolitan Hotel, which is on the final corner, isn't it, or on the final sequence corners. And just seeing down the strip and seeing the view that essentially this Grand Prix was built on, which was to look down the two kilometres of track that runs down the strip and just seeing how cool it looked. And I visually, it looked cooler seeing it in real life than did on the telly. I think it just mm. didn't quite come through. But I thought, this is why we're here. And I thought, oh, I'm pretty excited to be lucky enough to be here. So that was a pretty cool thing yeah. to do. And then the second thing is we did something slightly different on the day of the race. We had a red carpet laid out just inside the paddock gates. And they simulated it like a movie premiere. So they tried to encourage people to come down. The drivers and team principals, they weren't as excited. But it kind of worked from a celebrity perspective because there were so many celebrities there. So it was quite cool to do a Grand Prix weekend. And you guys know it's essentially the same format, isn't it, everywhere Mm -hmm. we go. So it was quite cool to do something a little bit different to the ordinary and just try and get a different kind of type of question you're asking or different kind of feel for an interview and stuff. So I uh, I enjoyed doing that. That was cool. That's, yeah, but this story is topped by a billion times by what Nate's about to tell. Yeah, agreed. I think it's one of the few times I can top one of your stories because yours are always very good. So <clears throat> the day after the Netflix Cup, so the day, the media day, which was Wednesday, um, leading into the event, uh, a few weeks out, <clears throat> we spoke to Red Bull and they said they were doing what's called the Grand Touro. They called the Grand Touro event. It's basically like the um, the Gumball Rally. You know, they're driving from LA. Uh, through to Vegas and Danny Rick was joining them for the final leg of that which was from Death Valley to to Vegas so he was flying out there and originally we were I was going to drive up with an ESPN crew last minute we had we had just there was so much going on on that on that Wednesday as you guys know we had so many different things open up it was like I don't know if we can spare somebody to go with you know to go with ESPN so we can't spare someone to go with Nate on the drive because they need to be filming stuff at the paddock so we thought, oh, okay, and we looked at like different options. I didn't really fancy getting a three-hour Uber from Vegas, up to, especially something called Death Valley. I feel like that's the start of a true crime podcast. Um, you imagine if anyone actually would have done that as well, like when oh, they have can, to turn around. Can and you drive imagine? Back. And, and also, just me trying to like just trying to justify the expense, like to ESPN. Like, what's this one thousand pound <laughs> Uber? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I had to go to Death Valley. So we were trying to <clears throat> spitball some ideas, and as well, shout out Paul Smith at Red Bull. So I messaged him, and I was like, man, I'm really sorry, but. You know, it's just so hectic this week. I'm not sure I can actually get to Death Valley tomorrow to join. And what we're going to do is going to have a bit of time in the car with, with Ricardo. He messaged back almost immediately and was like, what's your date of birth, your weight, um, and your full name? I was, that's a weird response. But I kind of, my head... Putting him in a boxing ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my head suddenly, I think, I, I didn't want to say it out loud, but I was like, I think I know where he's going with this. So I gave him the details. I dropped 10 kilograms off my weight, just because, <laughs> <laughs> which I regretted the next day, as you'll find out why. He then said, I'm going to try and get you on the private jet that Ricardo's flying out in. Cool. So I was like, okay, that's, that's amazing. Didn't think much of it. About 10 minutes later, Paul messaged me and said, you're on. I've got you a seat. So it was me, <clears throat> Ricardo, and uh, his manager, Blake. He's a you know, great guy. I know we, we, we all know him very well. And it was it was just bizarre. But again, to, to go back to the point about the time, I met them at 10 a.m. at their hotel. So we jumped in the car, which was funny. I was sat there with you know Ricardo and me in the back seat. He was just kind of you know talking to me about the times, and you could tell he wasn't too happy about how they'd scheduled it. He wasn't happy, for example, that his day basically was 
fly to Death Valley at 11 a.m. Or, or 10 a.m., whatever time it was, drive across the country or across part of the state, get to Vegas, then do a whole day of media day, then try and sleep, then the next day do practice. You know, he was saying, you know, how ridiculous that was. And then <clears throat> before we know it, we get on this. It wasn't, it wasn't the private jet you're imagining. It was a prop plane. And it was funny because when I got there, Ricardo was like, have you been on one before? And I said, no, I've never been on one. And he was like, oh, can't wait, can't wait for you to see it. And then, and then he was really apologetic when they saw it was a prop plane. He's like, Nate, really sorry. This is, I was like, this is still pretty damn cool. You know, but, and he joked, he was like, no, but like a prop, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a proper jet. And he was talking to, talking to me about how, um, how, that, how that actually works, you know, how you, you block out time with private jet companies and stuff and why, why he prefers it. You know, just, just going to airports, just getting inundated with people. So yeah. when you're in that headspace, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to prepare. He said it just, it saves you maybe a few hours either end. And he sometimes jumps in with Max, I know. Um, but he, yeah, talking to me all about that. And it's really interesting. It's easy to kind of hear it and say, oh, it's a private jet. Like, you know, how easy is that? But for them, it's a it's a huge deal just to be able to jump on a, on a jet like that. Um, and then, yeah. And then so we took off from, this, from a private airstrip, flew over Vegas, which was amazing. And we were kind of looking down uh, over, over, the, um, over the city, uh, which was, you know, early in the day so you couldn't really make out all the lights and everything um but just a really cool thing and i was just sat there and we we're just kind of chatting off record for the whole thing i say off record it wasn't even we didn't even say like this is off record we were just kind of talking about stuff um probably the coolest thing i've ever done in like you know in an f1 week because you get that environment where somebody's in their own space ricardo kept the whole flight there was this hamper opposite him of snacks and little drinks and stuff and there was this like uh it was like a Pringles can, but of Oreos. And he kept looking at it and saying, like, does anyone want an Oreo? And I was like, no, I'm good. And Blake said, no, no, I'm good. About 10 minutes later, he's like, you sure you don't want an Oreo? And I said, do you want the Oreos? He's like, yeah, I really, I really do. So in the whole flight, and as we landed, and we landed at this, I mean, the whole flight over was amazing. That part of Arizona is just unbelievable, really. Sorry, Nevada. It's, I think, in Arizona, because that's where I went after. Um, because you've got Vegas, and then suddenly just mountains, canyons, and we landed in Death Valley. Nobody there. There was just this little airstrip. Um, we landed. It was you know twenty five minute flight, so it wasn't super long, but had a just great. I mean, I've got I've got photos. We can we can put them on the social account um, of, of 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 what that was like. The funniest part was we landed <clears throat> on this airstrip, and Red Bull were meant to pick us up. We were meant to meet the the convoy at this airport, and we didn't know they were running about fifteen minutes late. They'd been held up just you know with a few things. So we get there. We thank the pilots. We get off. When I say there's no one at this airport, there is no one at this airport. There's not even there's not even somebody like you know there on like air traffic control or anything. It's literally a blank space. I think there was a guy who drove off when we got there, so I think he'd seen us in and driven off. So we get off the, off the plane. Blake and Blake and me are looking at our phones. No signal. We're trying to. <laughs> oh no. We're in Death Valley. Remember that Death Valley. And I'm like, there's a reason this place has got his name. Ricardo's got, you know, there's a Ricardo JPEG account. He was loving it. He, he was walking around just taking pictures. He said, this is like being in Australia, being out in the outback. He's like, if I could pick, I'd just live out somewhere like this all, all day. Me and Blake are like, well, how are we going to get to Red? <laughs> we're going to die. We're going to die here. <laughs> and I kept looking at the plane and I was like, well, as long as the plane's still here, we're okay. Because we, we've at least got our way back to, to Vegas. They started being like, are you guys all right? We're going we're gonna to head off soon. I was like, well maybe just wait a few minutes until we find something there was one path coming out and this we saw this person running down it sorry this is a really long-winded story and it makes more sense in my head but 
we're, we're enjoying it. I was just having to re- reply to a message. But we, s- we saw this person running down it. And now if anyone's seen any movie, you know if someone's running down a path, you should get the hell out of there. And we were looking and Ricardo kind of came around the corner and was like, someone running down the path. Turned out it was just a lovely lady who was just, who that's just her, an amazing running route. She said she runs into, the, in, into Death Valley and then just doubles back. Wow. She's like a, I think she was like an ultra marathon runner. So we then decided let's walk down this path because we said, is there like a, she said there's like a welcome center at the top. We said, how far? It's like, it's about a mile up there. So before you know it, I'm walking down this kind of country road in the middle of Death Valley. And I've got Danny Ricardo on one side and then Blake on the other. And I was just laughing to myself. I was like, this is probably the most random thing that's ever happened to me. Probably, I don't think there's many journalists who could say, and we were just, and at this point, again, I'd kind of forgotten we were there for a media event. We were just kind of chatting about how ridiculous it was. And then we see this car coming down the same track. And by this point, we've walked about five minutes down it. And so we started joking. We were like, well, and I said to Ricardo, I said, well, the, the annoying thing here is if this person does come down and kill us all, the news will say Daniel Ricardo Day. Won't name me. <laughs> I won't, I'll, sorry, be, I'll, I'll be like fifth paragraph. You'll be a fifth if, if lucky. You know, Blake will get mentioned. Blake was with his manager, his longtime manager, and there was a journalist with him. I was like, this, I, I, this, this story, this is not going to be about me. Luckily, it was Red Bull. They picked us up, and we did the event. We went straight for lunch. Um, but yeah, just a just a really, a really cool day, and actually spending time with a driver outside of the paddock, and in that kind of environment. Especially a guy like you guys both know what Danny Rick's like. Like one of the best guys to spend time with, just to talk to. So I think he's probably one of the most normal people. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Um, and yeah, I'm just glad we didn't get brutally murdered in Death Valley. Yes, me too. But yeah, so that and that wasn't even the media event. I mean, the media event itself was was fairly standard. It was great being driven. Um, got in a Mustang, got driven um, uh, to the other end. Well, well I, I was in the car for like 20 minutes, um, so didn't get a huge. There was a lot of other people there on the you know who who had time with him so but yeah just really cool just a really cool day um but also just sorry because i've been talking for like 10 minutes it does show you that sometimes the the stuff these drivers do away from racing because i did wonder and i was talking to blake afterwards i was like he, he was really he kept saying to red bull like i don't want him driving at all from here to vegas which you can understand you know he's he's got to go and drive that weekend they said, Nate, do you want to drive? And I was like, well, I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't signed anything. I haven't. So I was, I, as much as I'd love to drive, it's the middle of the desert. You know, I was like, I don't want to, I also don't want to drive an F1 driver. And then, and then, because then you're responsible for them as well. So I was like, I don't want to. And Red Bull said, that's fine. Because we, we didn't tell you we're going to drive. Um, but it does show you sometimes. So hang on. So Danny Rick then had to drive. He drove for a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then Blake jumped in and drove him at the end. So you forced him to drive and he didn't want to. Well, that was the event. That's what it was. No one wants to watch a, <laughs> That's a video. That's his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being Roy Keane over. That's his job. Um, no one wants to watch a video of me driving Danny Rick and us talking. You know, part of it was was that. So, yeah, that. So I felt sorry for him in that sense because I know he went. He drove to um, the hotel that Red Bull were at. Was the Caesar's Palace? He went to one of them, didn't he? It or was it? It wasn't MGM. Yeah, it was something. It wasn't Caesar's, but it was another one of the really big ones. Yeah, um, which is where we'd been picked up at the start of the day, and. <clears throat> when they got there, he basically, Blake pulled up, got out of the car, Danny Rick got in the front seat, drove in, and then Christian, they did a whole video where he's like, oh, I hear you've driven all the way from Death Valley. And, you know, they they did their they did their thing. From there, he jumps in the car, goes to the circuit, does media day. So I was like, that's a full day. That of, is pretty And especially, on, as we're saying with the times, you know, of, of um, you know, how 
how much was expected of them later that week. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot. I've just realized I've I've spent, and I usually give Meadows a hard time for talking for a long time, but I've done exactly the same thing. So, well, well, following up on that though, so Daniel then showed up very late for his media session yeah, as exactly. a result. Because Thank you, of Nate. How long it took. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sit down. Um, <laughs> but then. Uh, like you said, then you had the full day and he was really apologetic and thankful for everyone for waiting and stuff. And I'm there thinking what you said, that you'd already messaged us, hadn't you? Being like, he's now got to go through a full day. Yeah. Whereas I think for some drivers, they all had to do similar. They they were being asked to do things before media day started because it was daytime in Vegas. But you're right that we were then, yeah, we do all the interviews and they finished at, I don't know, 2 a.m. I think the last one was, something like that. And then of course you start writing. So it's three in the morning and three in the morning was then if I, fast forward that to uk time would have been 11 a.m uk time so you basically stayed up all night and you're into the following day um because of the time zone you're trying to get yourself onto as well uh, and that's when you have to sit and write in what was a windowless box of a room that was yeah. a, a, we had a terrible media center there um and trying to stay awake was so hard and and to like write stuff that was coherent so that was when it got challenging this is a bit where i say after that so everything had been fun uh, that would have been i think it was still on thursday earlier in the day got to the track before practice, before everything went to pop, basically, for the day. <laughs> and uh, Jacques Villeneuve was getting married in the chapel they had Yeah, there. I missed that. Because everyone, I, I came in, because I, so, a quick tangent, I woke up and I was terrified the next day because I woke up with a horrible cough. And I was like, oh my God, like, have I, I for, for a second I thought, well, maybe I've got like COVID or something. And I thought, if I had it yesterday, it's a good chance I've given it to Ricardo. Um, so I messaged Paul and I was like, just so you know, I've got a bad cough. And he was like, okay, I'll, I'll keep, it. like, Ricardo was fine. But I that so I missed that because I just spent a few extra hours like just basically resting up, uh, and then got in. Everyone was like, "You missed Phil Nurse's wedding." I was like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> that's not a sentence I ever thought I'd hear. And it was yeah, we got a message about it and went sort of wandered down <laughs> and was looking in and could see through the because it's like a big glass greenhouse almost. And uh, and I was like, "This is bizarre." And then it was just like, "Yeah, you can come in. Like anyone can come in and watch it." So I was like, "Okay." Walked in and found like other team members there with a glass of champagne and stuff. I say start the day. It was like eight p.m., but it was the start of our working day. Um, and was like, this is utterly bizarre. And I was taking photos and just laughing, like this is one of the weirdest things I've ever done. All, almost, I'll admit, almost mocking it in the sense of like, this is crazy. And then they came out and stood for everyone who was there to take a few photos in the area that we'd been watching from. And again, was kind of laughing at this, like how, like Vegas was already weird, but how I just watched Jack Villeneuve get married. And then turned around and they're handing out uh, cake in little bags, um, which I thought was really cute. I was like, oh, I feel bad now. They're giving this. And then when you left, they give you a bottle of champagne. Well, a bottle of Ferrari, Ferrari Trento. Yeah. They'll love that you called it champagne. Yeah, sorry. So yeah. Uh, well, that, this was it. I turned up in the paddock and everyone everyone had Trento and Case. I said, like, what did I what did I miss? Yeah. That um, was that was really surreal, but cool. And but, then it then it went to port after that, didn't it? Yeah, but that's what's cool about that is that, that that is exactly what you expect from Vegas. It's something that's completely weird and That's know, what they were, would have been hoping for, right? Yeah. When they whacked a chapel in the paddock, is yeah. that you'd get a kind of story like that. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Quick one, just because I'm just bleeding this story dry, but on the back to Ricardo, and you said he was very apologetic when he showed up. One of the things that was very interesting on the jet was he actually spent about five minutes asking me. He said, "So, when you're when you're at a race, like, what is your, like, walk me through it? What do you do?" 
on a Thursday, well, you know, on a media day, as, as it was then, even though it was Wednesday. And I was like, well, you know, here's what I would do. And, you know, this is why, you know, and I, I didn't labor the point about, you know, I just said, my job really is to find the best story. But there's so much happening. You know, you, you go to one session, you're like, oh, maybe I'll transcribe that. And he was like, oh, it's interesting. Because he's like, I always wonder, because there's so many people there. I'm like, Does everyone write a story about me every week? And I was like, a lot of the time, especially when you've come back, you know, and there was all those people in Hungary that year. I was like, absolutely, everyone wrote a story about you that week. And he said, and then some weeks I'll turn up with like three people there. I'm like, yeah, sometimes it just clashes. It was, it was interesting because obviously from his perspective, he has no idea what we're no. doing. Um, and I, so I'm not saying he apologized because I, I said that to him, but it's clearly front of his mind. Like I have just flown you know, privately and then driven across the desert. These guys are all here doing their job as well. So I think that's, again, just to go back to onto the Ricardo thing, one of the few drivers that has that empathy to actually ask you what you're doing. So basically what I'm saying is it was all, all down to me that he was apologetic hmm. and I gave him a new lease of life, basically, a new outlook on the media. So you can thank me later. It was definitely down to you that he was apologizing because he was late. Yeah. <laughs> He'd been on the event with you, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because we, we nearly died in Death Valley. That's, what, yeah. that's why. Um, that would have been a story. They would have written that. Um, but you would have said, you wouldn't have mentioned, you wouldn't have even mentioned me, would you? You'd have said Ricardo no, I think we'd have and mentioned two others dead. We'd have mentioned you on the pod. Um, but so then Thursday happened, like practice happened, which was a mess. Uh, which is where Beretta really can get stuck into it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like terribly handled. Let's just put that, let's just say that it was terribly handled. It was so badly communicated as in even tell, like fans waiting and waiting and waiting to CFP2 instead at silly o'clock in the cold outside. And then like five minutes before being told, actually you've got to get out because of labor laws. And it's like, well, someone surely should have seen that coming earlier and at least had told them to leave or, or however it was. Um, I've had a few people on Racer kind of write in being like, yeah, I was there just for this day or on that day. And the compensation of $200 of a, of a, a voucher in the shop doesn't repay what they spent on being there for something they didn't get. So Yeah, because you really want a jumper of the Vegas Grand Prix when you didn't see a lap. Yeah, you exactly. Know, that's like, like the one thing you don't want. So that, that was frustrating. But I think what was really good actually was the way it recovered after that because it couldn't yeah. afford anything else to go wrong. Nothing else went wrong trackside. Like, you know, the track was fixed and ran fine for fp2 fine for everything else and in a sense it's the time was the problem because they probably took what an extra hour and a half two hours delaying fp2 mm. but in that time they got the track completely safe and fixed so that's actually a rapid turnaround on the street circuit still but yeah. but they'd run out of time yeah because it was the middle of the night it was really weird but um after that i thought actually what it served up was was pretty good yeah i think it was quite a humbling experience for f1 because obviously they're the promoter for that event and often when things go wrong i think f1's happy to kind of to us privately in the media kind of deflect the blame towards the promoter and, or, or to the FIA or both mm. and say well you know it's on them whereas there it was like well this is very much like this is something that usually if that happened yes you'd have shaded it towards the FIA but the promoter would have got some flack from you as well mm. so I thought that was interesting um, but also what, what is also stand out from that is that I think we can make those things a really big deal in the media because we're there I don't think I think 95% of people that woke up on Sunday watched the race didn't give a damn that Friday was delayed because they didn't watch it. They just saw they just saw the good race, which and it was fantastic. I think probably the race of the year. That saved any, you know, residual. And um, Lawrence Edmondson, my colleague at ESPN, wrote a great piece on how um, you know Vegas kind of turned things around and how basically the end product just did away with any negative headlines you could have. Um, you know, at the end of that day. So as much as it was a big thing, and I think you're completely right, Meds, but 
it's it's funny, isn't it? We can get in a little bubble of like this is the biggest thing that's ever happened. This is a shambles, yeah. and we were all like that on Thursday. It did feel like the biggest thing ever. You get to Sunday and you look back at it forty eight hours later, and you're like, yeah, I mean, they came through it okay. <laughs> like it wasn't. If you were there, it sucked. If you were if you were at home and you weren't watching practice, because let's be honest, I don't think the practice viewing figures are very good. No one really cared. Well, you'd just yeah. woken up and you'd just seen that FP2 happened and you'd have seen roughly where everything was. Yeah. You wouldn't have yeah. known about all of the delays. You wouldn't have been sat there in the cold waiting for trying to find exactly. out whether or not you are going to see it or not. Um, and then you would have watched qualifying and that was pretty cool. And then you would have seen the race and like you said, both have said it was a great Grand Prix. It looked great on telly. The yeah. racing was exciting. Um, so you wouldn't have got it. And actually, you probably watched that thinking, I want to go to Vegas next year. It's probably what you've done when you've watched that race. On the race, yeah, definitely. And that's the thing. It's something like Baku's done the same. Like, And you can't, it's where I feel bad for certain new venues and things. You can't legislate for the actual event you're going to get, like the, mm. the track action. You can try and create a circuit layout that's going to encourage good racing and stuff. But you need like controversy, drama, incidents and all that stuff. And you can't guarantee that's going to happen. But if it does, some people view your event really positively and want to go and if it doesn't they don't and yeah you think of Baku first year dull as anything the Grand Prix and everyone's like yeah, why are we racing in Baku this is rubbish the next two years are crazy and everyone's like it's like got this cult status as a race since it's been pretty 50-50 hit and miss whether it's good or bad race but people still look at it like yeah. Baku's a great one and they look forward to it now Vegas kind of next year people will look forward to that race because of what we got no guarantees we'll get the same thing but it, it that's the bit that kind of dare I say, saved it, wasn't it? The event will be better next year, though, won't it? They'll yeah. learn tons of lessons from this year. It was the first event. They pulled it together pretty quickly. Um, and like you were saying about Baku, like, lots of street circuits have problems, don't they, in the first year? And mm. you, like you mentioned, they got on top of it pretty quickly. So I think everyone will kind of look back on it with rose-tinted glasses because of the way that it ended. And I think we'll head back there, and it'll be the start of a triple header, isn't it, between before Qatar and Abu Dhabi. Yeah. And I think there'll be a lot of excitement for it again. I think that's that's the point that actually... I'm underwhelmed about next year is not Vegas. It's the fact that it's the start of a triple header and that it's, it's Qatar and Abu Dhabi, isn't it? Mm. After. Now, if the championship is still alive, then then great. that it, Everything falls by the wayside. But this year especially, I know that there's like this insistence in F1 to be like, oh, it was still a great season, great race for second. It's one of the worst seasons I've covered as a journalist in terms of the championship. Let's like, yeah. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but it was dull, predictable. We had some good races along the way, but we knew in the middle of October that Max had won the championship. That part of it, with that was the only thing missing, was that it was kind of, as with the other races around it, it just didn't, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really matter, and you knew Max was going to win it eventually. I know there was some jeopardy at the end, but you know it was like, Max is still going to win this bloody thing, isn't he? So, And that's no fault of F1s either. So if we get to a point next year where it's more competitive, I think that circuit will be perfect. You know, If there's some drama, if there's two guys going for the championship, you know, especially if the two cars are close, you've got that kind of Saudi 2021 vibe to it where there's a lot of places where you can go wheel to wheel with each other. Mm. So that part of it, I'm quite excited about if it ever has the championship on the line or the championship's still running, that would be a really cool place to go. Great use of wheel to wheel because that lets me tell another story actually from Vegas very briefly before we try and wrap, um, which was on the grid pre-race. I managed to interview live on, actually it was on, it was on the live pre-race show of Sirius XM. So it wasn't on the wheel to wheel show, but um interviewed Rob McElhenney because oh, cool. he was there with yeah, Alpine. That, that's very cool. Um, and in interviewing him, I said about how um, he's kind of done things at both ends of the spectrum with sport because he'd gone for a lower league soccer team, football team. I don't, I never can tell who we should appease of our listeners, whether it should be our, our British listeners or our um, US-based ones. But um, so 
uh, his Wrexham football team, uh, they were non-league when they got involved with them. So, you know, five divisions below the top level, a long way from elite level football in the UK. And then you've got one of the 10 Formula One teams that you're also invested in. I'm like, there's two ends of the spectrum you're going with. Well, and when I mentioned Wrexham... Still mid-table, I'd say. <laughs> what, as Alpine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, as in there's only 10 you can pick from. So yeah, like, true. you know, to, if you've got an F1, if you're involved with an F1 team, it's yeah, the yeah, highest yeah, level yeah. of motorsport um, or one-off. So then I was like, but with Wrexham, it's lower. And we were doing this interview about 10 days or two weeks, it was two weeks exactly, before Wrexham played Yeovil in the FA Cup. But the main thing was actually, when I mentioned it, I, I did say, so I'm actually a Yeovil fan and Wrexham relegated my Yeovil team. Unbelievable. The, like a few months before. And his eyes lit up at the mention of it because it wasn't just a, oh, you're involved with Wrexham, talk about it. It was like, yeah. oh, you get it. Like you, you're in that, like you're used to this. You understand probably why actually we're now hooked on it and this sort of thing. Um, because it must be a hard sell for them to like, you know, Premier League fans that why they're involved with Wrexham. But um, yeah, so we, we have, I did this interview live and there was a section of it where he then started talking about, we're playing them in the FA Cup. We've got this. He said, I'm, I spoke to the manager and the owner a lot. Great club. And I was the one who had to go, let's move it back to F1 <laughs> like, and talk about why they were there. But um, yeah, that was that was cool to do. That was really cool. Uh, our, um, our friend at The Guardian, Giles Richards, one of his favourite bands is called Fight Milk, mm-hmm. which is a reference. I don't know if you guys have seen Always Sunny, but Fight Milk is a reference. Like, it's a thing that they come up with during the show. So he's walking on the grid, and he'd said before, he's like, I've got to see Rob McElhenney and show him the shirt. And he was stood, and he saw him, but he said McElhenney saw, Giles said McElhenney saw him before he'd had a chance to, and he pointed at the shirt and was like, Fight Milk. That's, he's like, that's amazing. Where'd you get it? And he said, oh, it's, 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 it's what type of music is it? It's like a like a rock band of like some punk or whatever, punk yeah, rock maybe. band or something. It's like kind of kind of smallish band. And he was telling him about it, and, and he said the same thing. He says eyes lit up, and he's like, "That's amazing." And Joel says, "Can I get a picture with you?" And he was like, "Yeah, of course you can." You know, and guess um, who took that picture? It was you. That was before. Uh, you this is the point. I was trying to do the interview. I'm like live, trying to like segue into get asking a question, and like I'm talking. And and Gilo had come over and started chatting to him. And I'm like, I need to interrupt this. Kind of, well, not interrupt it, but like, you've now made my job a lot harder because I need to wait for this to end before I can then ask a question. I'm not going to just say, oi, Gilo, get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. um, you could have done the Kravitz kick that he did to you. Well, this is it. So then he was trying to take the photo and he was kind of struggling with it. And I was like, this will end much more quickly if I help to take it. So I kind of threw back to the guys in the studio and offered to take the photo, took it, and then said, oh, and I've now got Rob McElhenney. Um So yeah, that, I... I Jumped on that chat as well, but yeah, he what, was so what a happy. Pro. What a pro! It's almost so like you've been happy. doing this for ages. Yeah, I would have fumbled the phone, got that, <laughs> smashed up. So then we've now got, and Rob McElhenney would have walked on. God, like, we've got no one here. Back so to it's you. Still me. <laughs> yeah, still me. I've got. I've had no interviews so far. Well, seeing as in this episode, we've had very little from Mr. Bretto, and we have um, gone for quite a long time. I'm going to do a like. Not a Nate-esque 60-second review, but I'm going to do a very brief oh, yeah, yeah. summation of my Abu Dhabi Grand Prix before we find out something cool that Barreto did recently. I think it's 60 seconds. No, I'm going to time it. Well, you can, hit, you can try it now, but I'll just start talking. So <laughs> yeah, okay. um, in Abu Dhabi, firstly, what was also called was a grid interview um, with... I've already forgotten the guy's name. Who was the really famous Marvel actor or actor that was... Thor. Oh, Come Hemsworth. on. Hemsworth. Also played James Hunt famously, more, <laughs> more famously than that in a race. Fortunately, I was, the, when I forgot his name, I'm like, I'm just going to edit this and cut that out and be like, it's too late now. Uh, okay, fine. So yeah, Chris Hemsworth, uh, interviewed him on the grid. Um, and that was very cool. Uh, I did have to get barged out of the way by Martin Brundle for them to interview him with Sky as well afterwards. But uh, I'd just seen him and just said, do you mind? And he was walking to the front to do another interview. So I was like, yeah, as long as it's quick. He got in first. So yeah, I got in there. Um, that was cool. He's a tall guy. Um, 
and but that was really nice and that was kind of a cool way to end it when it's always more fun when you get people that you wouldn't normally get to speak to um so that was fun and then that came after thursday night won a karting race whoop uh which should mean that i get to drive a formula one car next year which is is very cool i mean as prizes go for quizzes or events or media things that we do yeah like that is skyrocketingly high i won a mclaren quiz once and i'm pretty sure i got like a a, a bottle opener. <laughs> Which, I'm not no, sure. I you would have got more than that. No, 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 no. I don't want to throw shade at McLaren because their quizzes are great. But I remember I got like that was third place. We got like a we got a small thing. Explain so, quickly so why. Win. Explain quickly why that would end up in a F1 test. Just oh, just so, so people don't think that randomly there's a there's a kart race that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah one off. No, so it's Alpine did like a media karting championship all year. So they uh, did four rounds. Did one in Bahrain, one in Spa, one in Qatar, and one in Abu Dhabi. And the Abu Dhabi one was like, um, they did the same last year as well, where you do a, you qualify, then you do a reverse grid race, and then you do a full race. So it's kind of five races across the year. Uh, and they add up the points, F1 style, and, and the champion gets the chance to drive. They've got like, um, it's, I think it's the 2012 Lotus car that they run as, um, as like a F1 experience thing uh, at Paul Ricard. And waiting to see if that's actually going to be the prize, because it's not been fully confirmed yet. So me saying this publicly is partly to put pressure on Alpine that's what I'm doing right now but uh yeah so uh they did it last year and I finished second uh to Stefan Cox who is a very quick she was a pundit for uh Dutch TV but also races herself and I think she wasn't a pundit this year because she went back to full-time racing oh, so wow. she won it and did do the driving experience and they did like a, a film around it um on via play uh so I think I'll have to tweet the hell out of it if I get the chance uh, but yeah, we'll we'll give it a load of coverage, and I will tell you all what it's like if I get to drive one. You should, yeah. I mean, that's that was the sell. So I mean, even I took part in Qatar. I was, I was pretty slow, but like, yeah, if you were competitive. You were racing people. I was racing in the, but I was in the, I was in the lower heat. I was in the second heat. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- that's what they that's what they sold to you. Where did where did Stefan Cox do hers? Where, like, Paul, that was a Paul Ricard uh, experience. Paul Ricard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd so. be, I mean, as much as that circuit sucked ass. Let's be honest with you. It would be great to test on because you could just keep making mistakes. You oh, it's, yeah, it's a brilliant test track. And, yeah, yeah. and it's still a good track, I think, to drive in isolation. It just didn't make for great racing, but you yeah. don't get to a race. So, yeah. And, I mean, mate, they could. I could drive anything anywhere. If I got to sit in an F1 car and drive it out of a garage and not crash it into the pit wall, that would probably be the highlight of my life. Oh, my God. <laughs> after it's going to be so cool. So, it will be very be cool. So cool. I mean, you'll be unbearable for weeks after it, but I would be as well. And yeah, before. that's okay. We'll allow it. To be honest... Yeah, either side of it, just for months, yeah. years. The only time I'd be bearable, I think, is while I was doing it, because you'd see I'd be absolutely shitting myself. <laughs> yeah, but apart from that. Yeah. Now, yeah. Barretto, Nate and I have talked a lot in this episode. We have, yeah. The floor should be yours it. for like I do enjoy minutes. listening to you guys talk, So, and I've said a few things. You've said literally a few things. And, you know, I'm just here to just control you two. Vegas, final night, one big on blackjack. He did. How did you get on, Nate, with I your did, gambling? I did terribly. So I was on the same blackjack table. Don't. Don't don't gamble, kids. <laughs> um, I I joined a blackjack table with Madders. I didn't put. I mean, I put like a hundred, hundred and twenty down. I think one hundred and twenty-five down, um, which is a lot of money. But it's not when you're in Vegas. Like everyone's betting bigger than that. But that the table we're at, that was four ha- five hands of blackjack. I lost all of them. Oh, so it was because no. I was the first one. It was dealing, you know. And I had the guys next to me were kind of saying, oh, "Yeah, yeah, you should stick, or you should." Or, do the other one. Um, <laughs> twist, <laughs> this is why probably this is probably why twist. I lost all the money. And so me being there, I think, was helping these guys. But I, but yeah, it's th- that's the crazy thing with 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 Vegas is 
you you just go down so quickly and you can see so easily how because in my head there was like a like a little you know you know in the cartoons you have like good 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 angel bad demon on your shoulder the good one was saying i that's why you don't gamble the bad one was like yeah but you know, look at Meadows. He's winning loads down down, down there. If you just put hundred. He put more money down originally from you. That's that's why. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that might be it. And I was like, no. So I had to be. I had to get up and be like, I'm gonna go get a drink. Who wants a drink? Like just to get myself off the table. Um, because yeah. So and and it. That's the one thing with Vegas is you do see a lot of people around. You're like, I wonder how long those people have been sat around for. But it's not all bad. Meadows did win big. But I did exactly like you said. I lost at the same rate as you, but I had some more. And I was like, do I go back in with what I'd? like kept yeah. to play with i was like yeah i will and then it that one also false economy because nate then got up and bought everyone around that was damn expensive and if he just sat at the table kept playing you get it for free uh but <laughs> that's also true yeah, yeah but so. mr bretto did you get to gamble at all did you take any risks no i did not have a flutter oh. uh for Sensible the whole man. time that i was there I'd, when i went to vegas 18 months previously and and um did that film and i had a go and gambling is not for me i'm very risk averse so, and I so just don't get the man that wears such bright colours all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to that. I don't to know if I'd risk. like to be on a table with with Bretta wearing this because I keep look. I just keep looking at you, being like, oh, "Damn, that looks nice." <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be like, "What do you mean?" And then the, the roulette table would be spinning, and I'd be like, oh, and all my numbers would come up, and I'd be like, oh, "I was looking at his shirt." <laughs> you know, maybe and maybe you blame me. You blame me for your defeats. <laughs> yeah, I would. Oh, I we did. That's what we did on that Sunday night because you weren't there. Yeah, no, but I was with you guys on one night, and you both were winning when I was there. That's when I put. So that was a slightly different night. That's when I put like twenty dollars on an electric roulette table. Yeah, we we were going to wrap this up, but I was actually I, I kept thinking of things I wanted to add. Um, but Mr. Bretta, you've done something very cool since the season's ended. I, if you've done something cool since not gambling in Vegas, please enlighten us. But otherwise, what have you done most recently? Um, so most recently, I've just got back from Venice um, nice. uh, in Italy. Uh, it was beautiful. It's still play. there, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's still there. It hasn't sunk. I like the way you were kind of clarifying between the Venetian in <laughs> yeah. Vegas. And it's like everyone well, who went on one know, of the gondolas. Just, just but that was the advice I gave you, wasn't it? I did say to you before you went, I was like, be careful because it is sinking. It is sinking, and yeah. It. It and the water level is really high. It's going to be quite sad in a few generations' time when Venice might not be there. But So get there. Get to Venice now. It's over here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's return to the fact that I had a great time. No, in Venice. It, just clarify. You, it yeah. would it would be sad actually. Just to clarify. Thanks, I, thanks, I, I, <laughs> The, well, the, the decline the, of our planet does make me sad. Yeah, and to the good people of Venice, you know, Nate doesn't hate on your <laughs> on your home hometown. Um, I was over there for Prema, a single seater team, probably the most successful in junior formula history. Uh, their fortieth anniversary, and they very kindly asked me to host their fortieth anniversary celebrations. So they had a, hired a venue uh, in their cruise terminal there, um, pretty cool uh, space. And they invite all the drivers who had driven for the team over their 40-year history because they've gone from karting all the way up to F2. So they've got quite a few um, single-seater um, series going, or they perform and perform. They had to compete. Compete, there we go. Uh, and a, a number of series um, across the world. And so I just hosted this um, event. Jacques Villeneuve was there, Esteban Ocon was there, Robert Schwartzman, uh, Did Juan. you know Jacques Villeneuve got married recently? <laughs> <laughs> the newly married Jacques yeah. Villeneuve. And Jacques Villeneuve was there with his wife, who he married in Vegas, ah. which was nice. Um, and everyone wore a splash of red because that's the colour of Prema. But it was just quite a cool event because um, when you're in that on that occasion, everyone's relaxed, the season's over, everyone's in a really good mood. You're there to celebrate a pretty cool team. And the real overwhelming vibe that I got from it is what a family Prema is. Like You can just see how close everyone is, how much love... 
that they have for a team that helped them get to where they got to. Ryan Briscoe was there. Nicole's husband, he raced in, raced, I can talk, raced in IndyCar, won the Daytona 24 hours that started his career, really, single-seater career, um, with premise. There's a lot of like drivers there, when they talk about it, how emotional they get. It just means so much to them that Prema gave them the opportunity. And it was Angelo uh, Rosin who started the team. He was there. Rene Rosin, his son, um, runs the team now. And when they talk about those guys, you can just see they treat them as like father figures, essentially. So it was just a really nice like atmosphere and like a really nice space to be in. Who out of the F1 grid was there? Because obviously... They've had like Charles and a few others. So Charles, uh, Charles couldn't make it, so he sent a video message. Uh, but Esteban Ocon was there. Yay! Uh, <laughs> uh, Lance Stroll couldn't make it. Boo. Um, Mick boo Schumacher, there. I know he technically isn't on the grid at the moment, but is involved in Formula One. Couldn't make it. He was on holiday. Boo. Robert Schwartzman could make it. He Yay. was there. Jacques Villeneuve, aforementioned, not on the grid, but was a Formula One driver. Was there? Um, There's a future Formula One driver that was there as well, wasn't there? Oh, well, it depends. If it depends. Who you think is going to make it into Formula One? Well, I'm putting the pressure on you now to think. Who who was I suggesting? Kimi Antonelli. Mm. Yeah, the big the big man. Yeah, he was there. Really, really, really nice. I was going to say, did you talk to him? So, for people listening, Kimi Antonelli is a bit of a sensation. He's got like Max Verstappen vibes to him, mm. hasn't he? He's this young kid, Italian. <laughs> no pressure, Kimi. Great, great first name because his name's Kimi, yeah. and he's currently with Mercedes. Is that yeah, right? he is. Yeah. And he's and stepping up to F2 with Prema next it's a year. Big step, isn't yeah, it? yeah so, he's going from Formula Regional straight to F2. So right now, there's almost no chat really globally about him. But if he has comes in and does like a Lewis year or like has like a like a Charles Leclerc year, you're talking about fast tracking straight to. F2. Oh yeah, even just winning a few races. I don't yeah, know if yeah, he'll yeah. win the title because his teammate's Ollie Bearman, who was there on the not there. Bearman. You oh can't remember. God. Was Bearman not there? I didn't see gonna, him. I might boo Beretta if I'm I didn't boo. see him. Bearman, boo. Uh, but if, yeah, Bearman's going to be, he's the, Kimmy's teammate next year at Prema in F2. That looks like a heck of a lineup. That's going to be very entertaining to watch. That'd be great. But uh, that might make it hard for Antonelli to win the title. Ah, but, but no, but you yeah. rarely do in your first year. That's why if, if he does. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be huge. But also, just a quick aside, yeah. mega for Italy if Kimmy Antonelli is Yeah, definitely. Because Italy just hasn't had a driver, like a superstar driver for... Like, literally, like, we're talking decades mm. since I've had one. So, yeah, let's go Team Kimi Antonelli. <laughs> is this the new hype train? Yeah, this is my new hype train. I've not, I've, I don't think I've ever spoken to the kid or seen him race, but I've just heard everyone talk about him. So I'll jump on it. And I didn't jump on the Charles Leclerc hype train, and I feel like I should have done. So does that earlier. mean you're going to be finding yourself in the FT paddock a little bit more often next year? I might have to discover where they are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, know they're some, I know they're somewhere, but I'll, I'll, I'll have to venture down there, make some contacts. On his private jet. But yeah, but all in all, a uh, pretty wicked weekend uh, to end the year. And it meant that I couldn't attend another pretty cool event that Chris Medlin did manage to. I don't know why I keep referring to as Chris Medlin this podcast. Cool names. Medis, uh, Medis, you managed to go to. Yeah, this is nearly our longest podcast ever, so I will keep it very brief. But went to Marinello to mm. Fred Vesser's like, Christmas lunch, uh, which was very cool because there was about 30 people, I think, uh, media invited from um, across Europe, essentially. I don't think there was anyone outside Europe that was there and a few um, Ferrari comms team uh, members. But it was a massive circular table uh, in Fiorano. So you were kind of looking out over... It was the same location where they launched the car uh, at the start of the year. That was very cool. Uh, again, that I put on TikTok at the time. So you can go and check my TikTok out. Um, but so we had a view of Fiorano, but we couldn't film anything because there was a uh, like a development um, GT3 car or something that was running. Uh, so this uh, you had a great view, but we had this huge circular table. And it was big enough that in the middle of it, was 
the 2023 car like a show car was was part there um so yeah one of the cooler settings for a for a lunch we actually the day before had a, a red bull lunch at the royal automobile club in mayfair um yeah. with christian horner where actually the the final story of the pod will go tonight for this um <laughs> well i feel like you guys should also tell the story from your perspective <laughs> but well, let's uh, let you tell so, that first <laughs> so then we dashed from that to the airport he threw and flew um overnight stayed in bologna went to Marino thing uh, and what was great was fred spoke for over an hour on record um, so it, as much as it's like oh Christmas lunch how fancy and it was lovely and a long way to go for a nice lunch but genuinely like it was really worth it from a work perspective a lot of content we got a lot of questions we could ask on the record uh, and find out a lot of stuff so that was very cool beautiful crisp winter's day as well it's lovely to be in that area it's so atmospheric in Marinello so got a tour as well saw the production like the car line um, for the road cars that was mega um, saw those being built so just a really cool day out, really, to end the year for me. But yeah, the highlight was the laugh I had the day before. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, let's just jump straight into it. So I made the biggest clanger of my career the day before. Um, actually, to be honest with you, it's pretty funny. But we, so the three of us were at um, the it's a similar event, a Christmas lunch at the Royal Automobile Club in London with Christian Horner. Um, was what two hours? Like we, we'd at been least, there. yeah, yeah, and it had all know. been off record and eating and stuff, and no, nothing on record at that point. And he was in great form, wasn't he? Yeah, Christian, yeah but no, but we did the on record bit. We did the on record bit, so that's when we put the phones in. And again, like like Meta says, though, while it does sound fancy, like those events, even the off record stuff is really good because it colours your understanding of things that have happened. You say, "Well, this is what Red Bull think of this," and it helps you, you know. So, so it's all it's all helpful. The off the on record stuff was good. Then we'll take the phones away, and Christian in his very Christian kind of way. Now, there's dispute over what exactly what he said. I thought he said, now, in your guy's opinion, who dropped the biggest bollock this year? But I was told reliably. And what he means by that is who 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 messed up the biggest this year, right? Meadows then told me, because we went to watch some football on Saturday, that he said... He just, he just asked... Out of you guys. Yeah, he said... Um... I don't even know if he said about you guys. He just said... So who dropped... Come on then, like, be honest... Who dropped the biggest bollock this year? <laughs> yeah, so that is yeah. what he said. Which, yeah. which, which. So he didn't say for you, or in your opinion, and he didn't say out of you guys, admittedly. So there was a bit of open to ambiguity. It was open, that's, that was the point I was making. But it was it was open to clarify. Let's say that I understood it to be of the people around the table yeah. now, as as we wrap up, like who screwed up the most? Did, he did the funniest, stupidest. Did thing. you think he? Meant and it? I'm really sorry, Nate, but yeah, I kind of just because he was looking around, yeah. asking, well, kind of, because I mean, he, he is interested in what we're up to. So rather than, <laughs> rather than what Nate I'm thought, still, he I'm meant. still cringing about what I said. And then <laughs> Luke Smith has told me that he he knew exactly what Christian meant. So it does sound like I was very much in. The, and Lawrence Edmondson was sat next to me. He said, said it was fifty-fifty. He said, you, yeah, yeah, and and I'd had you know I'd had a couple of glasses of wine, so you know. Maybe I just misheard him. There's a tiny silence. There was, yeah. You, you broke the silence. silence. And I was like, well, to be honest, probably Checo. <laughs> <laughs> Another silence. And Luke Smith's like giggling next to me. And Horner's just looking straight at me. And God bless Lawrence Edmondson. He then saves me by saying, he says, no, I think he, someone said no. I, I think, think he I means, said he means, us, he means out of us lot. Yeah. And, and then Edmondson said, well, probably Nate now. But Medis yeah. was a good one as well. And then you told a story about earlier in the year. I thought that was pretty embarrassing. Um, and then you guys all went from there to the to the airport to go to Marinello, you, Luke, and Lawrence. And we have a group chat between us. And I think it was Luke put in there. He put at Nate. He was like, um, Nate, just out of interest, who do you think dropped the biggest bollock this year? And that's when I realized, I was like, oh shit, they're probably just sat laughing about it there, which 
and I was I was with Ben Hunt. We went to have a drink, and I said I was I was like that was that was that was pretty funny. And he was like, yeah, yeah. That, I, I was laughing at that myself. And he was behind Christian, like looking away. So he said him and Phil looked at each other like, <laughs> so you know, I'm happy to take it though. I, I, if 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 that hadn't been me, I'd have been the first person having a laugh about it and making fun of the person. So. It was pretty damn funny. We, it was less making fun of you. It was just a hilarious moment yeah, because yeah, you misunderstood what he said. And then not only that, you went straight in all guns blazing with it being Checo. Because the thing is, we hadn't talked about Checo Perez at any point during that day. And we hadn't had Christian really down our end of the table. So I was kind of like, maybe this is a playful way to start that chat. It obviously wasn't. Um, but you also brilliantly went hard. And then when everyone, re- when everyone reacted as in, oh, no, you've got it wrong. You then doubled down on it and were like, well, obviously, it's Checo. Like, that's what was quite funny, what was oh, yeah, quite yeah, funny yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no. Yeah, it was, um, I'll be honest with you. It, yeah, I at the time, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But and to be honest, and then Paul, again, to end on Paul Smith, he messaged me after just about something else. And I was like, oh, I dropped a bit of a clanger at the end. He was like, oh, mate, that was hilarious. Don't worry. Yeah, no one, no, like, everyone found it funny. Yeah, everyone so found as soon it as he funny, said that, I it was like, great. Yeah, yeah. So it was a funny moment. And that's what those that's what those events are, are for, isn't it? Stories. For and that's what this podcast is about. Yeah. It's for clangers that we've all made, ultimately. Um, that is a good one to finish on. So I think so. And we should end on a high point after your joke right at the start, mate. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I feel uh, like I've redeemed myself. It took you a whole hour to do it, but you turned it around. Well, thanks, everyone, for sticking with us to redeem ourselves yes thank you very much for anyone who is still listening thanks very much you can of course follow us on our social channels at the paddock you can read nate's work on espn.com medicine's work on race.com and my work on f1.com and we will do this again very very soon very soon very soon very soon Network.